0: Your first Christmas carol owed the season, right? Tell the truth, some of you have been listening to Christmas music for weeks, right? Yeah, you put in the CDs, turned on Pandora, however you kids do it these days. You know how it is. How many of you have decorated your houses for Christmas already? Excellent. How many of you are Gator fans and were too depressed? Yeah. Too depressed to even raise your hands, apparently. But alas, uh, any—let's uh, see, Alabama. Oh no, Renee's not here. Oh yes, she is. You're just three rows too ahead, too far ahead. And I know we have some folks from Alabama too. Ah, uh, well, we'll pray for you. Okay, okay. There we go. It's a big, big uh, weekend over that, and so a lot of things get. Get ready. So I'm going to tell you, we're not going to Christmas sermons yet. So if you came for that, you're a week too early. I know you're all disappointed. We're going to finish up what we've been talking about for the last, uh, uh, well, month or so. Um, let, me, let me start out by, by telling a Louis Giglio story. You know, Louis Giglio, Chris Tomlin, Passion and all that sort of thing. Um, they, they do these tours from time to time. And apparently, when you're really big time and you go on tour and you go to an area that, you know, you come in your tour bus or whatever... One of the things that the, the arena or the site or the host do is provide um, runners or drivers, which means once you pull up in your tour bus and park, uh, you don't have a vehicle, and so they have to provide somebody to take you if you need to go somewhere, which you know shows you what I know. I didn't know that was the sort of thing. But, but it's, it's easy in lots of those places to get people to do it because what happens is you hope if you volunteer to be a runner, you're going to get the call and you're going to pull up and the star needs a ride. You know, Chris Tomlin, or, you know, we just, that was one of his songs. We just sang, Chris Tomlin needs right. ride. You could take Chris Tomlin somewhere. And so, so that's just one of the things. Well, Louis says his favorite runner story is one year they were near D.C. And through some connections, they had a show Friday night, and somebody was able to get them access for a tour of the White House. It was going to be sort of a quiet day. president was out of town, and maybe because of this person's... Um, I guess clearance or whatever uh, in sight, they could get in and see parts that maybe weren't on the normal public tour, as the story goes. So so they arranged it. They had to get up early next morning, meet you know somebody about 10 o'clock at a certain place. And so they called the service and the runner was there to pick them up. And so they are waiting outside and up pulls this burgundy 15 passenger van. Doesn't that sound exciting? Now typically runners are college students who have a car that's just good enough to pass muster. And this guy was, this was not a new burgundy 15-passenger van. It was a little bit of an older burgundy 15-passenger van. And so he pulls up and stops. But when the young man got out of the van, the driver was in a suit and tie. Louis said, I've never seen that. These guys don't show up in a suit and tie, but this guy was ready. This was his day. He thought, I guess maybe Chris Tomlin's going to get in my van. Not only did he get Chris Tomlin, he got Chris Tomlin and Louis Giglio in his van. It was a good day, and he was very formal. Good morning. Good to see you. I'm, I'm happy to be your, your driver today. Let me open the door for you. you have anything I can just put in the back? You know, very, very formal. He said, got in, put his hands on the wheel, just storybook, 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, we're going, and, and just focused. Like, this dude was into his assignment. He was serious about it. And as they make their way through uh, from the suburbs into the city, they're approaching the point where they think they're going to have to stop. And apparently this guy doesn't realize that's where you're supposed to stop. He thinks he needs to get them a little bit closer to the White House, which is a bad move (laughs) in general you know when they when they put the the place there and say stop you should stop but he doesn't somehow he just keeps going and passes where he should have stopped where they thought they were supposed to stop and goes a little bit further when these gentlemen proceeded to indicate it would be very wise to stop the van. Chris and Louis said there, Louis says he's in the back. He's going, We're gonna get shot, we're gonna get shot, we're gonna get killed. This is not gonna end well. Because the guys have the guns and the, the, the finger is not kind of on the, the, the side of it. It's sort of moved a little bit down. You know how that goes? It's sort of the trigger is within within reach now, and this is not looking good. And so he pulls up and they get the young man to stop suit and tie, he rolls down his window. That tells you how quality this van was, rolls down his window and says, Sir, These men have a 10 o'clock appointment with the president. (laughs) They didn't have a 10 o'clock appointment with the president. They had a 10 o'clock possibility of touring parts of the White House because the president was far, far away. And the gentleman who heard this pronouncement, they have an appointment with the president, with the big gun, said, young man, you need to back up. Smart thing, huh? And this young man, he put that car in reverse and backed up with purpose. Good thinking, right? Out of the way. And interesting story. I'm sure that because of you're the star, you're the runner, whatever, you get to these experiences. But, but I thought about that, and, and as he tells the story, and I think about where we've been for these last few weeks, it occurs to me that young man might have been onto something. He understood in that moment What he thought, though he was a little bit mistaken, was the priority of his life. And he organized everything and got a hold of his desire to serve these people in such a way that he was going to accomplish this great thing that he had no business doing, but somehow it had been arranged and he was going to do it to the best of his ability. He was doing it with all his heart, we might say. And what was he doing? He was taking a few Christian-type celebrities, to a place. You and I, we've been talking for the last few weeks about what God has uniquely gifted us with, how God has uniquely put us together, and where God has sovereignly placed us for a purpose. We said a few weeks ago, looking at Colossians chapter 3, where, where Paul says, whatever you do, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, we we spent some time talking about the whatever's of our lives. The the whatever it is that God has given you the ability, the the responsibility to do. Whatever it is, there's nothing outside of God's realm of being able to use you. Whatever it is, you do it all for a singular purpose. And last week we talked about from from, uh, Romans chapter 5 that God has unified us and With one heart or one mind and one voice, we can glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we we use the idea that God puts you in these places with your experiences and with a particular knowledge of him that you might not realize how he could use you in that particular place and time to spread the good news of the gospel. And so today we want to kind of wrap that up and think about what that might mean for us because... I hope you've gotten the sense, if you've been here for these last several weeks, that God has a very unique purpose for your life. And God has uniquely crafted you and given you desires so that you might somehow play your part in his grander plan. And wherever he's placed you and whatever you do, when you do it for his glory and in his name, you have a chance to make an eternal impact in the lives of those around you. But the real key isn't the whatever or the wherever. It's the purpose. It's the motive. It's the why you do what it is you do. Um, I read a quote from Howard Thurman, who's a civil rights leader. He says this, Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. <coughs> you have something in you. You have something unique that God has placed that when you do that thing, it makes you feel more alive than anything else. I don't know what it is. For some of you, it, it could be very specific. It could be different than anybody else. But whatever it is, what just find that thing and do it because God put it in there. When you do it in that way, ultimately, we can do it in a way that brings glory to his name and gives that message, that singular message of the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the salvation that God offers. And so there's no whatever that's too small or no wherever that's insignificant. And just like that young man in his suit and tie driving a beat-up 15-passenger van, if he understood he had a purpose, how much more we as ambassadors for the King of kings and Lord of lords should understand we have a purpose and should do it with all of our hearts. That's what we've been talking about. And I hope somewhere along the line, maybe you've wrestled with that idea or thought about what is that thing, to, to use the quote I read a minute ago, what is that thing that makes me come alive? How do you find out what that thing is? You probably know, there's probably that that reality in your life that, that when you do that, it's just something that sort of makes you feel unique and, and like you're finally hitting your stride. But how do you find out what that is? A few ideas. One of the things that, that you can do is just try stuff. I know we're looking at people from different generations. We've got some folks that are, that are early on maybe in their, their career, some younger that are, that are in school and are learning some things and looking forward to the future, and some that are on the other end. They've already tried lots of stuff, and they're tired of trying, and they just want to be retired. Amen. Okay. Somebody's listening. But beyond vocationally, that might be it. You might have the privilege, and many people do, of having that unique thing that they do vocationally that makes them come alive and they're able to, to glorify God. Somebody, it might be a, a hobby. It might be a, a, a pastime. Whatever it is, try things to figure it out. And here's another thing you can do. Listen to other people. You know there's other people that see things about you that you don't see. For instance, what does the back of your head look like? Ask the person behind you. They have a unique perspective. Some of us have done some of these running relay events together. And one of the curious things that I I found in it is when you're you're there um, and you're you're waiting maybe for the next runner to get in because it's your turn, over the course of a day or two or an event of two, you begin to recognize the unique gait of the person, of the people on your team. And from a long distance, even at night, We've done a couple of them at night. You've got the headlamps and the reflective vest. You can still, I see some nods because we've done these things together. You can say, oh, that's, that's him. I know that's Jerry, that's Charles, that's, that's Amy, that's whoever I, because you recognize the way they particularly run. I don't recognize it. I think when I run, I look exactly like Meb. <laughs> Does nobody know who Meb is? He's just one like the Boston Marathon and Ed Kofleski, that help Bonus points if you can spell his last name. Exactly. Uh, by the way, I don't look exactly like Meb when I run. I figured that out. In fact, one of the things they say for runners is you go to a running store to get your shoes fitted and they put a, a camera, put you on a treadmill and, and like video your gait. I don't want to do that because I don't want to see it. <laughs> That's my theory. But, but it's interesting to think in those settings, and you know, it's just a 24 hour, 12 hour event. You get to know and you watch people in a way that you see things about, their they're, they're you recognize them. I and that's the same thing that, that can happen here, that you may have, or you may need the perspective of somebody else who's watching you, to use the term running, run the race of life and see something in your gait, see something in the way you live, the way you act, that cues them in on some things that you may not know about yourself. So listen to those around you. Ask those around you that know you. Maybe they can give you some insight because the the main thing is it's in there. You need to believe that God has uniquely placed in you that thing that when you find it can be used like no one else for the glory of God. And it could be something that you think is normal, mundane, everyday. Nothing is normal, mundane, or everyday when the glory of God is at stake. Everything we do can be for a greater purpose. Everything we do can push us to the next level. One of my favorite authors is Malcolm Gladwell. Have any of you ever read Malcolm Gladwell? Okay, a couple. Gladwell, I I just like the way he writes. One of his books is Outliers, and he talks about um, what he calls the 10,000-hour rule. And he uses some examples. His idea is basically, if you do something for 10,000 hours, there's something about that benchmark that seems to give you, sorry about that, to give you um an ability that's above and beyond just the everyday. And he uses some interesting uh, things, whether it's you know kids that play hockey and how they at, at a certain age are identified and get all-star coaching and all-star games and that experience in. So that if you look at the professional hockey players, the vast majority of them are born in a particular three-month period, the first quarter of the year. Why is that? Is that coincidence? No, there's something else at work. He talks about the Beatles. Um, and how they had played and played and played together over in these insignificant places, in these meaningless-seeming uh, uh, concerts, so that when the opportunity came and the cameras were turned on, they came to America, they had put in their 10,000 hours, and they were good and they were ready, so that they just burst onto the scene. It wasn't they burst onto the scene. They had struggled away, slaved away for years. Nobody knew who they were, but they were putting in the work, so that at some point, they could, they could come out and be, be uh, who we know of as the Beatles, the Fab Four, and so on and so forth. They use a lot of examples like that. And I think about maybe your life, as you're going through it, you're in the middle of your 10,000 hours. You know what I'd love? I'd love, and I think we all think this when we're kids, you know, we're in college We're about to embark on our career, and you have the idea that when I start on that career, I'm going to do it like nobody else has done it, and I'll be the most famous, best, whatever you want to say ever. Right? Everybody will know your name, and not just at Cheers. No old sitcom watchers here. Because we all want to go to a place where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. Thank you, Lindsay. You're the only one that's watched that show, apparently. No. I know. What's that about, anyway? We, we all want that. We, 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 are, we all think that. That's going to happen. And, and for the most part, as we go through our life, even though we, we have those big ideals, even though they have those big dreams, there's something about, dare I say, the drudgery of getting there. And we're going to look at a, uh, a few verses in Scripture. They're found in the book of Zechariah. That's a popular spot to hang out, isn't it? Zechariah, Old Testament. Next to the last book of the Old Testament, in fact. One of the prophets late in the history of Israel. Um, Zechariah writes some things. We're going to look at the first verse. We're going to look at Zechariah 4.10. We're going to be in chapter 4. If you, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, we're going to throw most of the verses up here. We're just going to look at a couple verses there. But Zechariah talks about a, a, a king or a, a leader named Zerubbabel, which is a great name. Why don't you see many of Zerubbabel's today? Just kind of rolls off the tongue. Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel. There he was. Zerubbabel's going to come in. And one of the things he wanted to do, one of the things he was tasked to do as he brought, as the children of Israel came back from the exile, they're going to rebuild, obviously. Maybe you think of Nehemiah and, and what's going on there. Ezra, well, is one of those in that period of time that's going to do it. And and he gets overwhelmed by the task he's going to come back he's going to do this thing and i'm sure he had great designs as all of us do he was going to do something very particular we're going to have a temple of god rebuilt this is the place where god would inhabit by his glory this is the place where we would think we go to worship and we sacrifice and it's the centerpiece of our city and it's the centerpiece of our faith surely god is in this right this is the kind of thing god's going to be all over and surely if god is in something it goes flawlessly That's what we think, maybe. But Zerubbabel, like others, found out along the way, things don't always go flawlessly. Stuff happens. Resistance comes. There's there's obstacles that you have to overcome. And sometimes in those times, you just want to, ever been here, give up, quit. Maybe we think things like, it's too big. I can't do this. There's no way. Or, or maybe on the other side, we think, maybe I didn't really hear what I was supposed to do. That God's really not in this. I thought he was. It sounded like it would be God, but he's not really in it. I'm just mistaken. And so we want to just kind of pack it in and forget about it. And the prophet Zechariah has some encouragement for Zerubbabel. He has some encouragement for us, too. He says in, in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, these words. I think they're going to pop up on the screen. Who despises the day of small things or small beginnings, other translations say. Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel's ready to quit. He's ready to pack it. This is not going to work. It's too much. There's too much opposition. And the prophet says, don't despise the baby steps. Was it a Bill Murray movie? Is it What About Bob? Is that the one that we baby step it? Anyone know? Is that it? Okay, good. Whew. I was going to say Groundhog Day, but that's not the right one. That's where he wakes up the same day over and over. But anyway, baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. 10,000 hours. God says, or Zachariah says, speaking for God, don't despise the small steps, the small beginnings, the little things, the, the early stages. It doesn't seem like much, it seems like drudgery, it seems like futility. But don't despise them because they will rejoice, he says, when they see the plumb line, when they see that tool in your hand, when they see you starting, you'll find out that momentum will build and things will happen. But you have to take those seemingly small, insignificant steps. I would love to say, as soon as you find out that thing that makes you alive, as soon as you find, kind of maybe call it your passion or your your, your driving force in your life, that unique giftedness that god would give that everything will fall into place you'll have no problems no difficulty no obstacles and you will sail to great success in the glory of god and people will cheer i would love to tell you that it would be a lie because it rarely happens that way i said chris tomlin obviously plays to arenas tens of thousands of people we sing his songs regularly. Churches all over the, the country, maybe even the world, sing songs he wrote. Um, but he started in a place that was like most people start, not with 10,000 people in the arena, not standing room only crowds, but probably just with a guitar making a few strums. In fact, one of the first big gigs he got, and this is apparently the way in, in the music world you You evaluate gigs. He had to be flown to the place where he was going to play, and they paid for it. This is how big it was. You know, this and they they had rented out a a, a nice size uh, arena for him. Or I don't know if it's ten or twenty thousand, but a nice size venue. He was going to go play. Flew him in. Flew his band in. They were so excited. It's going to be great. He shows up. Apparently, what happened? First big gig, right? I finally made it. All these hours of practice. All these tiny places of strumming and playing and singing. They're finally going to pay off. And he shows up, and you know who showed up to see him? Would you believe nobody? Because that same day in that same area was another something that was the huge draw. And the promoter of the Chris Tomlin event wasn't aware of this conflict, and he lost. And so Chris Tomlin showed up to play a concert, with nobody, and they said, you know, there is this, this center down the road. Um, we could go play there. And so Chris Tomlin and his band and all his big dreams left the arena that was supposedly going to be packed out his first big break and went and played in a medical facility down the road for about 20 people in the, in the, in the dining hall. Go Chris, right? Big time. He made it. 20 people. Woo-hoo. Is this a step back? No. I mean, what could he have done? I'm Chris Tomlin. I didn't come out here to play for 20 people. I came out here to play for hundreds of thousands of people. I'm not, I'm taking my guitar and going home. He could have done that, yeah. I'm sure people have done that in their lives. But instead, he saw what it was, didn't back out, went in and did it. And in those moments, when there are obstacles, when there are difficulties, when it seems like our momentum is stalled, when it seems like everything is lined up against us, I think that against us, did I just say against us? Where am I from? Against us. In those moments, God begins to build into us character. Character so that when a guy like Chris Tomlin stands up in front of 10 or 20,000 people and plays these songs and writes them, his heart hopefully has been insulated against the pride that would naturally rise up for anybody in that situation that would say, oh, I am somebody now. No, in those moments where he's playing, when his his first look at his dream is ripped out from under him, he's strumming his guitar for 15, 20 people in a nursing home cafeteria, in those moments, God is doing something for him so that when later that passion, that unique giftedness that Chris Tomlin has can be expressed, he's ready for it. His heart, his pride has been hopefully tampered or tempered and he's not too full of himself because I think that's one of the greatest dangers. A few verses before we read uh, that... God doesn't despise small things. He tells through the prophet Zechariah Zerubbabel what is the secret. And he says these words, they're probably words that you've heard before. He says, not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What's the key? It's not the things that Zerubbabel brought to the table. It wasn't the army. It wasn't the, the unique giftedness in architecture or or his ability to to get people motivated to a task no the real key to all of this is the power of the spirit of god at work in this man's rubble that would eventually accomplish the task and the key for you and i isn't anything we bring to the table and though we may have passion though we may have ability though we may have unique giftedness that isn't the key the key is submitting all of that to the Spirit of God and allowing him and his timing and on his timetable and by his will to place us in those places and to do the things that we could do. We said a few weeks ago, I thought it was a good idea. I heard it in my head when I said it, I said, Oh, this is good. I talked about Transform Tuesday. Who remembers Transform Tuesday? One person. Two people, three people. I, I I thought, oh, here's what I'll do. On Tuesday, I'll go on the Facebook and I'll put a post. Tell me about your Transformed Tuesday, and I'll hear about all these people that would tell me how God took a Tuesday and made it amazing. And you know how many people replied? Just as many as showed up for Chris Tomlin's concert. I'm like, Chris, I feel you. I thought it was a guy. Good... So here's your warning. Hopefully I'll remember. On Tuesday, I'm going to put this up again. And I, I want... Now, what is Transform Tuesday? I just came up with that. I'm sure... I think there's like these things uh, that people put their pictures like I used to look like this and now I look like this. Maybe they've lost some weight or or whatever the case. And so I know... I, I'm not I'm not talking that. So I don't want to see your pictures on Tuesday. Please. What I'm talking about is how Tuesday is the red-headed stepchild, to use a phrase, of the work week, isn't it? Tuesday is everybody's least favorite day. Because, well, okay, Monday is everybody's least favorite day, probably. Tuesday is, is, is right there. If Monday is Judas, Tuesday's like doubting Thomas, isn't it? Tuesday is the day it's like, I'm just, the week isn't even half over yet. It's just another day. i got to get through it. I got to do something today. I just have to get through this and maybe tomorrow it'll be Wednesday, it'll be hump day on Wednesday. And Thursday is the day before Friday and Friday is well, Friday, it's almost Saturday. And it's just you know, we just kind of go through the motions and we 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 do and we mark our time just cuz it's Tuesday. Now, I know Some of you have different Tuesdays. I know work weeks aren't always Monday through Friday for everybody. So if that's not you, I'm sorry. But that's kind of the idea I had, that there's a day that you have, and we pick Tuesday, that's just as regular as regular can be. There's nothing seemingly significant about it. And I said, what if we looked at Tuesday as the day where God could uniquely use you in an incredible way for his glory? If you would look at Tuesday that way, would that make a difference on tuesday it's not just the second day of the week it's not just a baby step toward friday it's it's a, a day god can use me he's put me somewhere he's gifted me in the way he has how can he use me on this tuesday to do it i thought it was a good idea so so that's kind of the thing here that, that i'm going to say you know as you go through life just to hit that note again As you do the thing, you really can look at it one of two ways. It can be a rut. It can be a routine. It can be just another day. I got to get up. I got to go to work. I got to do the stuff. I got to come home. I got to go to bed so I can get up and go to work the next day and do it all over again. Or it can be what today might happen so that God can be glorified, even though it's just Tuesday. Have any of you ever been through a drive through? Aren't drive throughs awesome? Not really. Okay. They're convenient. Is that an okay word? Somewhat convenient. You pull up. Now, here's the thing that gets me. Some of the restaurants now, apparently they have these sensors, so when you pull up, a pre-recorded voice comes off and says, you know, welcome to whatever, may I take your order? And there's nobody there. There's no, like yesterday, I pulled up to one of these restaurants, and the pre-recorded voice came on, and I began to order. And I sat there after I ordered, because usually they come back and say, and I say, yeah, that's what I want. I hope, that, you know, by faith, amen, and drive forward. You know, but there's usually a response at some point. There was no response. I'm like, well, I just ordered. It said, thank you for coming. Can I have your order? Surely somebody's there. You know, it wasn't even open yet. <laughs> I pull up to the window. You've done this, right? You kind of look through. Lights are off. And nobody's home. And everybody, there's probably a camera there that the owner's going to laugh at one day. Oh, look at this bozo sitting in the drive-thru. You know, I mean, it's just so frustrating. How about this? Maybe you had your order messed up at the drive-thru. Yeah, <laughs> yes, welcome to the keys. Um, there you go. You go through the drive-thru. And and it's kind of funny that we give special orders at the drive-thru, isn't it? Like, you can't understand a word they're saying. You You... Live by faith that maybe they can, and you ask for this. This has probably happened to you. You ask for one thing, you know. I'd like, here's Denise's order no ketchup, no tomato, no pickle, or no onions. Excuse me, I gotta get this right. Caroline's no pickle. No ketchup, no tomato, no no onion. So I go to the drive-thru, and so I'll have this with da-da-da-da-da. And, and now they have the screen, so you can see them typing the wrong order as you're waiting. And I don't know whether I'm supposed to interrupt at that point and say, no, that's not right, or if I have to wait until they get to the end and they recite it to me and say, no, that's not right. Because here's what happens. They, they type it in, and they say, "Well, that, will there be anything? Else? I say, no, well, you got my order wrong. What would that be, sir? And I order it again. And now I have two wrong sandwiches. Have you been there, done that? Yeah. Now, I, I told you last week I love Chick-fil-A. One of the things that I, I find, I, maybe it's just how they train people one of the things that happens at Chick-fil-A I don't know if you ever thank someone working at Chick-fil-A what do they say It's my pleasure must be their thing some of them actually mean it but at the first few times that happened I thought that's kind of neat that somewhere along the line I mean I'm sure it's corporate whatever they they teach them that but not only that but the fact that this particular employee listens enough to hear me say thank you, and responds. A lot of times you say thank you, and you don't get much back. But Chick-fil-A, it's one of the things that they do. They actually respond, and they always say, my pleasure. But what if you lived your life? Um, I think we don't have any drive through restaurant servers here. But whatever it is that you do, wherever it is that you do it, what if you lived your life with the my pleasure? Attitude. That whatever you do, wherever you do it, when you have the privilege of doing it for somebody else, your attitude would be, this is my pleasure to serve you. Because let's be honest, as much as I like that chicken sandwich with the pickle, most people aren't aspiring to be the drive through person at Chick-fil-A. They probably have bigger things. And those people that are there might be somewhere along the line of their career goes. Maybe in your life you're somewhere along the line of your career goes. Well, here's what Jesus said. Jesus did some amazing things, didn't he? Can we agree Jesus was amazing? That's probably easy to say. Best thing I've said today, yes. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28? He says, The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. A horrible paraphrase, but as if he's saying, everything I've come to do, I do with the phrase, my pleasure. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, miracle worker, best teacher ever, all the things that he was, lived his life not thinking the people around him, the ones that, that as the second person of the Trinity, he had a part in creating owed him anything but rather he came and lived his life as a servant for the first however many years of his life almost 30 years of his life that servanthood took a particular craft it was carpentry we believe because his father was a carpenter probably applied a very common trade in a very common village in a very common way for 30 years until the moment came when it was time to begin his public ministry and obviously things changed remarkably but he lived his life to serve. And even in the midst of that, even among his disciples, those who were close to them had the front row seat to Messiah. Just hours before he's arrested and tried and crucified, he shows the full extent of his love through that. But what did he do at the Last Supper? He himself took off his outer robe and picked up the basin and served them by washing their feet to the very end, demonstrated that. And that's who we are. He's our model. He's our savior. He's our example. He's the one we should emulate. And so we can, whatever we do, wherever we do it, have that attitude, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, but emptied himself, became nothing, and took the form of a servant. Servant. And wherever he went and whatever he did, he understood he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday or whatever day you want to pick, you can have that mind and you can live out your life in the way Jesus did and think today, I can be like Jesus by finding somebody to serve with all my heart. I, like you, had aspirations, dreams and whatever went to school, got my degree, then went to seminary, got my master's degree. And I thought, here it comes. I'm going to graduate from Southeastern Seminary and I'll have my choice of offers of where I could go. I got zero. Back to Chris Tomlin. None. In fact, after a summer of an internship in church planning, I figured that was kind of my fail safe if I didn't have Something to do right out of seminary, I could go do that for a summer, and and who here? I'm going to go and do church planting, and I'll I'll do this internship, and they'll need a pastor for this church because thousands of people after I go there and go door to door and do this thing are going to want to come to this church, and they'll hire me. You know what they did? Not that. And so, what do I do now? Here are my two post seminary master's degree jobs: car detailer. Glamorous work, let me tell you. There I was with a couple other guys in a shop with a, all the tools of to the trade. Now, I used to actually clean my car, but I don't anymore. That's another story. But you know that was just not we. We go to the dealership for some of them. We pick them up. We bring them back. We get them ready. I can tell you the, the the really fun thing is if you go used car shopping. I know all the tricks. Like up oh, there's spray paint, and there's what they did there. Oh, that's how they're disguising that leak. It's great fun. Um, I know all those tricks. It's sad that, that it happens, but nonetheless, what I did. And after that, I got a job as a file clerk at an insurance company. Yes, I did. On West Shore Drive in Tampa, Florida, there I was with a couple of people who worked with me who were right out of high school and were my supervisors. And I thought, I have a master's degree. And I have to go A B C D. One two three four. What's going on here? How can this? This isn't how it's supposed to be. Maybe that's how you feel. You know, you've got these these goals, these dreams. Maybe you even think feel like God put them in you. And and there's a there's there's something out there, and you have big dreams of what God can do and how He can use you, and you feel like you're the car detailer or the file clerk, but here's the thing, wherever you are, whatever you do, there are people in that business that need to know Jesus. And there are customers of that business, clients, whatever the right word is in your line of work, that need to know Jesus. And I can bet that how you conduct yourself in the day-to-day operations of that business for me how i detailed cars or how i filed and did the things i had to do in the file room might make all the difference when the moment comes and it will probably come when you have the chance to share a little about your faith maybe there's a tragedy a loss among one of your coworkers. And that's the, that's the door opening for you to say something about the hope that you have found in Christ and the, the promise of eternity and salvation and all that sort of thing. And as you go to open your mouth, as you have that opportunity, the question that might be going through the, the minds of the people around you might be, well, well, in this moment, this person wants to say how they're all into God and Jesus, but have you seen how they've worked for the last three months I've worked with them? They were the laziest, sloppiest most uncaring, rude person. I, I, why would I want to listen to that? That's what it got me. Or on the other hand, because you had with all your heart, even though it seemed like just drudgery, even though it seemed like what you might think is not what you were hoping for, but you did it, and you did it well, and you did it with that my pleasure attitude. When that opportunity comes, they might view your witness a little differently. Because whatever you do, you can do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we are unified with one heart and one mind and one voice that we might glorify the name of God. And we can follow the example of Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Galatians 6, 9, last verse, then we'll pray and wrap up. Paul writes this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You ever planted something? Do you plant it today and wake up tomorrow and like, Oh, an apple. And it's tasty and delicious. Doesn't work that way, does it? I grew up, my grandfather had about an acre and a half of orange trees. I love oranges. Would go out certain times of year, pick one right off the tree, you cut a hole in the top, run the knife through, and it's like your very own squeeze juice box. The original kind, like before Capri Sun got in the business. Loved it. But to to be able to go to the tree and pick the orange and cut the hole and drink the juice took weeks and months of work. You know, weeds grow under orange trees. And you know, granddaddy would say, Charles, go out in the grove and here's your scuffle hoe and get those weeds out from under the first two rows of orange trees. Do you know it gets cold sometimes and you have to get out there all night long and build fires near the orange trees to keep them a little bit warm so they don't freeze? Of course, they all froze a few years ago and grove's not there really anymore. That's like work. But If you don't get tired of it, if you don't say forget about it, it's too hard. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm just going to give up at the proper time. The fruit will be ripe and juicy and delicious. But only if you don't give up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and grace and for your son Jesus. Thank you that having revealed yourself to us through him, Having called us to Yourself in salvation, You also send us out into this world. You, you uniquely gift us, as we've talked about for weeks now. You sovereignly place us so that we might be used for Your glory. And Lord, I know that, that there are some people in here that, that feel a little bit stuck. They feel maybe like there's, there's too much Struggle. There's too much opposition. There are too many obstacles. And they, they feel like maybe along the way it's, it's just pointless or useless what they're doing now. But Lord, may they be reminded that every day we can have the privilege of glorifying you. That every day we can live the example of Jesus by being a servant to others. So that one day, if we don't get weary, if we don't give up, We can see the fruit. We can see lives changed by our witness and by our example. But mostly by your power and your spirit at work around us and through us. Thank you, Lord, that you use us. Help us never forget that wherever we are and whatever we do, you are and can use us for your glory and for the good of your kingdom. Lord, as we come to our time of response, may you convict our hearts if that's needed. May you encourage us where that's needed. May you remind us of the unique privilege we have as your children to represent you every day of our lives, that you might be glorified, that, you might, that your name might be lifted up. We thank you for that privilege. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.